And please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. Dorian uh, taught us through the book of Genesis and completed that uh, just this last uh, Sunday. And uh, so Dorian's been thinking about what he will teach next on Wednesday nights, and he has settled on the book of Micah. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, And I finished the book of Romans recently, and was just temporarily in Psalms, and have decided to do the book of Exodus uh, to pick up where we left off uh, in our study of Genesis. Um, So uh, I'm thrilled to do this. Exodus is probably my favorite book in the Old Testament uh, because of what it teaches us about God. It gives us a higher view of God. It it teaches us much about his character, about his uh, nature, about his glory. Uh, So it's going to take us some time to go through the book of Exodus. It is a substantial book. If you tried to read the whole book um, since last Wednesday, uh, you came face to face uh, with the length of this book. Uh, I'm going to give some introductory information on the book, and then I'm going to want to hear from you um, what has stood out to you in your reading of Exodus, uh, what you see as the main idea. I hope that you've been reading the book of Exodus and will be able to, to share about that. But first, let's first look at some introductory uh, matters. First of all, the title of the book. Uh, Exodus is the title given to this book in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Septuagint was translated before the time of Jesus, and the authors of the New Testament had access to the Septuagint. Um, Exodus is the title given to this book in the Septuagint. Uh, The Greek word is pronounced the same as Exodus, and means exit or departure. And this title refers to Israel's departure from Egypt, which is the major event of this book. Now, when did these events that are recorded in the book of Exodus take place? Well, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 states that Solomon began to build the temple in, quote, the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign. We can conclude from this uh, that the exodus occurred around 1445 B.C. Now, there are some scholars who will give you a later date than that, and they're not basing that date on Scripture itself. They're basing that date more on some archaeological Findings, however, the archaeology actually matches quite well uh, with a date of 1445 for the Exodus, uh, which which is what the scriptures themselves would lead us to conclude about the date. Now, Moses was 80 years old at the time of the Exodus. We read that in Exodus 7, verse 7, uh, putting his birth, which occurs towards the beginning of this book, around 1525 B.C. Now, this dating places the exodus during the height of Egyptian power, prestige, and glory. So, in God's providence, it was not at a time of Egyptian weakness that God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was at a time of great strength for the Egyptians, great power for the Egyptians, that the Lord uh, freed them Uh, from the hand of Pharaoh, which is quite significant. God does display his great glory, his great power in the Exodus. And uh, even the most powerful ruler of the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time could not stop God uh, from uh, redeeming uh, his people out of that bondage. The human author, of course, is Moses. Now, there is a divine author, as there is with all Scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. 
so the book of Exodus is the word of God, and therefore everything in the book of Exodus is authoritative. But when God gave us scripture, he always gave it to us through a human writer. And here that human writer was Moses. The books from Genesis through Deuteronomy were written by Moses as a five-volume work that the Jews call the Torah. That Hebrew word Torah means instruction, uh, or it's translated law oftentimes in the Old Testament. But, but really, the, the, mo the most general meaning of that word Torah is instruction. And that's really a good way to see Genesis through Deuteronomy, is it's the instruction that was given from the Lord through Moses to the nation of Israel. It's not all law. It's not all commandment. Uh, there's a lot more in the, in the first five books uh, than law. The, there's another name for the first five books, and that is the Pentateuch. Uh, the Pentateuch, uh, that word Pentateuch comes from a Greek word meaning five-volumed book. Now, there are indications that Moses wrote Exodus, uh, including the following that I put in your notes. Look in your notes at Exodus 17, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. What has just happened is God has given the Israelites victory over the Amalekites who attacked the Israelites on their way to Mount Sinai. Now we read that the Lord uh, instructed Moses to, to write something um, about that in a book. And we see other references like this throughout Exodus and the other books of, uh, that, that follow it in the Pentateuch of the Lord instructing Moses to write different things, even to write them in, in a book. Exodus 24 verse 4 says that Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, the, the words that the Lord spoke to him to speak to the, the nation. Moses wrote down all those words. In chapter 24, verse 7, it says, Then he, that is Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. This is a book that Moses has written. It, it, it contains a a lot of what we find in the book of Exodus is the Lord's covenant that he revealed uh, through Moses to the nation. So we have here Moses writing uh, in, in the book of the covenant um, and, then, and then reading that book in the hearing of the people. Chapter 34, verse 27, the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And then in Joshua chapter 8, verse 32, we read, And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he that is Joshua wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. So Moses wrote the law, and then Joshua made a copy of that. Mark chapter 7, verse 10, Jesus says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now he's quoting from Exodus 20 verse 12 and 21 verse 17. And Jesus, when he quotes these, said, Moses said. Mark 12, 26. Uh, Jesus says, And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. We find that in Exodus chapter 3. And uh, Jesus says, Have you not read this in the book of Moses? In John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47, Jesus said, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Notice there's a plural, writings, Moses' writings, so within the book of Exodus, we see God giving instructions to Moses to write things down uh, that we find in the book of, of Exodus. And then in the Old Testament, we find reference uh, to these books being written by Moses uh, and in the New Testament as well. We find references to Exodus and the other books of the Torah being written by Moses. 
Now, while God dictated sections of Exodus to Moses, like, you know, you have, the Ten Commandments are, are verbatim from the Lord. The Lord spoke the, the, the Ten Commandments word for word. Moses wrote them down word for word. Right. While God dictated sections of Exodus to Moses, God also providentially prepared Moses to write Exodus. Just as God providentially prepared every human writer to write the portion of Scripture that God had them to write. In the case of Moses, we read in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, yeah, Acts chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. Stephen says, when he, that is Moses, was exposed, that was when he was a baby, and Moses um, was put in that basket on the Nile River because the, the king of Egypt, a pharaoh, had, had given the order for all the, the male uh, babies of Israel to be put to death and Moses' mother, in faith, saved Moses' life. And as soon as he got to the age where she could no longer hide him uh, because of how loud his crying was becoming, she put him in this basket on the Nile River. It says, And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. He was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was given a full education. Now, at this point, the Hebrews were, were slaves. They were worked quite hard uh, by, by, by Pharaoh. You wouldn't expect Hebrew slaves to receive a large education. Uh, here you have Moses in God's providence, part of the preparation for Moses to write uh, the Pentateuch. Uh, Moses receives a full education there uh, from Pharaoh's household. And we're told uh, that having been instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, he was mighty in his words and deeds. That's a description of him before he leaves Egypt uh, to be a shepherd in Midian. That was part of the preparation for him writing what the Lord had him to write. What is the occasion for the writing of the book of Exodus? Sometimes we don't think about, okay, who would have the first uh, readers have been, or the first listeners? Um, why was this history actually written down? Well, we know since it was written by Moses, it was written sometime uh, between the, 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 the Exodus and Moses' death. Now Moses will die just before the Israelites will enter the promised land. He dies at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. So this is after the Israelites have been in the wilderness for 40 years as the Lord has been preparing them to enter the promised land. Sometime between the Exodus uh, and on Moses' death, he, he writes the book of Exodus. So Israel was preparing to enter the promised land at the time that God gave them this book. They needed a written record of everything that we find in this book. It's very important that they have God's covenant in writing. It's very important that they would have a record in writing of the great things the Lord did for them in redeeming them out of slavery in Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai and establishing his covenant with them there. As they enter the promised land, they need this written uh, document. Now, we want to think about the main idea of the book, the themes of the book, the purpose of the book. And those three terms can overlap. Um, I have a question. Um, if you read any of the book of Exodus... Since last Wednesday, um, what stood out to you in the book of Exodus? I did not give you this question ahead of time. I'm springing, on, springing, springing it on you tonight. Robert. Um, I don't know, it's more of a question back at you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, 
That's a very striking passage. It's totally unexpected for us as the reader. And we will get to that. <laughs> Not tonight, but <laughs> in future weeks. Others, what stood out to you? Yes, Liz. Chapter 34, his revelation of himself as being gracious and merciful, and that coming right after the golden calf. Others? Keith? God choosing a, a, a people for himself, a nation for himself, and then his care for that nation, his relationship with, with that nation. Others. Dorian. Anyone else? Titus. Who stood out to me is how God provided for Israel. Mm -hmm. God provided in some miraculous ways for them. All right, now the, the next question is going to may overlap somewhat with what stood out to you. Um, the next question, and this is what we put in the bulletin, what is the main idea of Exodus? Whether you read Exodus this week or not, um, Thinking about the book as a whole, how can we state the main idea of the book? It's a wonderful exercise to do, to take a book of the Bible and study it and try to write down the main idea. It really makes you think through the different sections of the book, um, the, the, the flow of thought through the book, um, the big picture of the book, um, to really crystallize that in a statement about the main I I idea. Yes, Robert. I'm going to say uh, 916, what we do to dictate what God does in the book. God makes sure my power is used and God my name is and his glory is on the earth. Throughout um, history, you know, these events will be known because David puts up with the power and the glory of the That, 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 that verse 916 is a significant verse, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We do see a theme throughout this book of Exodus of God's revealing himself. 
revealing his power. He's revealing other things about himself. He's revealing who he is. Um, and this this fits right with that that theme. Yeah. He appeals to God's reputation, but it intercedes for the people, asking God to forgive them. Mom. God's faithfulness to His people. There's it. Very good. And that, that word redemption uh, is, is very key for, you know, lo- looking at the first half of the book. You know, when God redeems them out of that, that slavery in Egypt. That, that's a huge idea um, in the first half of the book. Dan? But beyond that, in the second half of the book, there's a great theme of redemption from sin with the explaining of the sacrifices and the tabernacle. So there's a picture of redemption in deliverance from Egypt and then deliverance from sin. So there's the instructions for the tabernacle to be constructed and the, uh, the most holy place would be a place of atonement, sacrifice, Others, Enoch. God's objection to Israel. Esther. God setting the Israelites apart as holy and orchestrating redemption. God setting the Israelites apart for himself as a holy nation. Definitely see that at Mount Sinai. Anyone else? All right. I've really enjoyed hearing what, what you've shared. It shows you've really been thinking about the book well. Um, let's let's uh, look at some things uh, together related to the main idea, the themes, the purpose of the book. Um, Exodus continues where Genesis left off. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. Verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So just before Joseph dies, he says something very significant. God will visit you. He will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God will not leave you here in Egypt. Now that goes right into the book of Exodus. Look at chap- the first verse of Exodus. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Now in Hebrew, the original language, verse 1 starts with the word and. Which suggests that it's continuing what was stated just before in the previous volume. This is not something new. Now, that word and in in Hebrew is translated with the word now. Um, In the New American Standard, now these are the names of the sons of Israel. 
But, but a more literal translation of it would be, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. Something else that stands out about the first verse is that it's almost a word-for-word -word repetition of Genesis 46, verse 8. If you go back to Genesis 46, verse 8, we read, Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. And then we have that, that listing. Almost identical, beginning of Exodus, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. It's picking up that sentence from the book of Genesis, indicating we're continuing where Genesis left off. Let's continue here in Exodus, verse 2. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. Now, if you've read the book of Genesis, verse 7 is not a, a surprise. That the people of Israel were fruitful, that they increased greatly, that they multiplied, that they grew ex exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. What was said in Genesis that keeps this from being a surprise? This is actually what we'd expect after re reading the book of Genesis. What does Genesis say that makes us expect this to happen? Yes, Liz. Yes. Promise to Abraham uh, to uh, give him so many descendants that, the, that it would be like the stars in the heavens where you cannot, there's so many you can't count them. Like the sand on the seashore. So, so many particles of sand that you can't count them. So would be the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is exactly what we would expect after reading the book of Genesis. Now, the book of Exodus records the fulfillment of the following prophecy and promise that God spoke to Abraham. Look in the notes, Genesis 15, verses 13 through 14. And the Lord was making his covenant promises to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Exodus records the fulfillment of that the judgment that the Lord brought on Egypt and how the Lord, through judgment, freed them and brought them out of Egypt with great possessions. Exodus records the fulfillment of the promise that God spoke to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, that Liz referred to just a moment ago, where the Lord said to Abraham in that first set of promises, he says, and I will make of you a great nation. The promise that God repeated to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will make of you a great nation. When we get to the end of Genesis, their descendants are not yet a great nation. There's what, 70 or so who go down in the family to Egypt? They're not yet a great nation, but... We read in Exodus how God took the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and made them a nation. The way that God makes the descendants a nation is by publicly and gloriously redeeming them out of slavery in Egypt and establishing his covenant with them at Sinai. Until they, they are released from Egypt and brought to Sinai and God makes his covenant with them. They're not a nation. They're the Israelites, the descendants of Israel, the numerous descendants of Israel living in Egypt. But through redemption and establishing his covenant with them at Sinai, he makes them into a nation. 
That's a big, big idea in the book of Exodus. The main idea of the book can be found in chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Let's look at chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. As God foretells what he will do, uh, this is exactly what the book of Exodus is about. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, the Lord says to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Lord is in all capital letters. It is the personal name Yahweh, a name that God reveals to Moses and its significance at the burning bush. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Everything that is said in verses 6 and 7, we see in the book of Exodus. And then we see how the Lord is preparing them for fulfilling verse 8 to them. He doesn't fulfill verse 8 in Exodus of bringing them into the land. That will come in the book of Joshua. But he's preparing them for this. Redemption never merely frees someone from slavery. Redemption always brings someone into relationship with God. That's what we see here. In verse 6, I will redeem you. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You should know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He redeems them in order to take them to be his people. To bring them as a nation into relationship with himself. And so it is with the redemption through Christ, the ultimate redemption. Jesus redeemed us at the cross, not just to free us from the penalty of sin, but he redeemed us at the cross in order to bring us into relationship with him. So now we belong to Christ because of redemption. And so the Israelites belong to God by virtue of redemption. They already belong to him by his sovereign, gracious choice, but now by redemption as well. This is the main idea of the book of Exodus. Now, in verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. He's speaking of establishing his covenant with them. And he says in verse 7, so that you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He's going to act in the way that he says that he will act. He's going to redeem them with his mighty outstretched arm and bring them to himself at Sinai. He's going to do this that you would know that I am the Lord your God. Now this clause and similar variations occur 49 times in the Old Testament. Uh, Shall know that I am the Lord. 49 times in the Old Testament you find those words. Shall know that I am the Lord. Or variations of that. Seven of these are in the book of Exodus. So a large portion of them. Now, can anyone, does anyone have any idea what Old Testament books contain more occurrences of this clause than Exodus? Uh, shall know that I am the Lord. There's another book in the Old Testament that this really stands out in. Titus? You're right. The book of Ezekiel. 38 times, I think. 38 times in Ezekiel, you find this phrase, shall know that I am the Lord the Lord. It's used seven times here in Exodus. It's part of a theme, very important theme in the book of Exodus. God is acting in order to reveal himself, that people would know who he is. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, I put in your notes, 
It says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I'm going to stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Chapter 7, verse 17. Speaking to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. Chapter 14, verse 4. The Lord says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 16, verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And in chapter 29, verses 45 and 46, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So God acts so that the Egyptians will know, so that Pharaoh will know that he is the Lord, and so that the Israelites will know that he is the Lord. In fact, the Lord their God. We could see what is said here in chapter 29, verses 45 through 46, as a statement of the main idea of the book. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. The Lord brings them out of Egypt in order to dwell in the midst of his redeemed nation. Old Testament scholar John J. Davis wrote about the book of Exodus, saying, quote, The second book of the Pentateuch establishes a foundational theology by which God reveals his attributes, name, redemption, law, and the ways of worship. The covenant faithfulness of the Lord is put on display in a marvelous exhibition of supernatural deliverance. God, in this book, reveals his attributes, in the passage that Liz quoted earlier, after Moses asked the Lord to show Moses his glory, he lists a good number of his attributes. We, we see his attributes all, all throughout the, the book. He reveals his name, his personal name, Yahweh, and the significance of that to Moses at the burning bush and through his great act of redemption. He reveals his law, his covenant, how a redeemed people are to live for the glory of their Redeemer. He reveals the worship that he requires, the worship that pleases him. God reveals himself in this book. He reveals his redemption. Now, one of God's attributes that is highlighted in this book um, and highlighted more than is highlighted in many um, other books, um, is God's holiness. I put some verses in your notes uh, to trace this theme of God's holiness, which is to be reflected in his redeemed people. Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy Ground. It was holy ground because God was present there in a special way. Because God is holy, that place was holy. In chapter 15, verse 11, after the Lord brings the Israelites through the Red Sea and destroys their enemies under that, the crashing water, in chapter 15, we have a song of praise to the Lord. And in chapter 15, verse 11, this song says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonder, wonders? This is the first direct statement in the Bible of God's holiness. In chapter 19, verse 6, we read, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. To God's words to his covenant people. You shall be to me a holy nation. Because our Redeemer is holy, we have been redeemed are to be holy as well. Chapter 26, verses 33 and 34. And you shall hang the veil 
from the clasps. That is the, the, the veil that would be in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the Ark of the Testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Testimony in the most holy place. The tabernacle was meant to teach the holiness of God. And there you, you, you have the, the, the tabernacle itself, which had a court around it. The tabernacle itself, that tent, was called the holy place. At least the first half of it. This, the back half of that tent was the most holy place. Or, or we can call it the holy of holies. Where the Ark of the Covenant was. Where, where, where God's presence was. Communicating that God who dwells among his people, he is holy. And then chapter 28, verse 36. Instructions for the high priest. Uh, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. The high priest was to have those words on his forehead, holy to the Lord. We will get to know more about the holiness of God as we study this great book. Here's how I would state the main idea um, after my study. I'd say the main idea of the book is that the Lord redeemed the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt and established his covenant with them as a nation, promising to dwell among them as their God. That idea that God would dwell among them as their God is huge in this book. It's the whole point of the tabernacle, which gets a lot of attention in this book. So this, this statement brings together really the, the, the three main sections of the book. In the first section, redemption out of Egypt. Second section, establishment of God's covenant with Israel as a nation at Mount Sinai. Last section, God's instructions for the tabernacle in which God would dwell there in the midst of his people. I have an outline that I'm giving to you in the notes uh, that comes from Peter Enns. He's written a good commentary on the book of Exodus. Looked at commentaries from a lot of different um, commentaries. And uh, this was the outline that, that made the most sense to me after reading the book this time through. Uh, here's the outline that Peter Enns gives. First, departure from Egypt. That's chapters 1 through 15, which includes the prelude to that departure, the plagues, and then the, the departure itself. Then the second main section, Mount Sinai and the law. Uh, first of all, there's the journey to Sinai, then the t God giving the Ten Commandments at Sinai, and then God giving the Book of the Covenant at Sinai. And then the third section, Mount Sinai, Tabernacle. Now, notice this is chapters 25 through 40. Th this is what stood out to me this time through Exodus, more than anything else, was how much attention is given in the book to the tabernacle. Because first you have the instructions for how it is to be constructed with all of the pieces of furniture. And then later on, there is a record of them actually doing all this construction. And so all together, you have a large section. Now in the middle, you have the rebellion with the golden calf and God's forgiveness. Um, but it's sandwiched between a lot about the, the tabernacle. So if you take chapters 25 through 40, which is largely about the tabernacle, that's 40% of the chapters in this book about the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is very, very significant. So kind of moving from main idea, themes, purpose of the book, to some of the more overarching significance. Exodus first and foremost reveals who God is. If we're, if we're going to understand Exodus rightly, we have to understand that. That it first and foremost reveals who God is. That's something we should be looking for as we're studying the book. What does this book teach me about God? 
Arthur W. Pink wrote, an unknown God can neither be trusted, served, nor worshipped. If you don't know God, you can't trust him, you can't serve him, you can't worship him. We need to get to know him more. The more we know him, the more we can trust him, the more we can serve him, the more we can worship him. The book is first, first and foremost reveals who God is. Now, the book of Exodus is the heart of the Torah. That, that was stated by commentator Walter Kaiser, and I think he is correct. It is the heart of the Torah. And I, I think that scene when you see the central place that the Exodus has really in the whole Old Testament. The, the Exodus event is alluded to by Old Testament writers more frequently than any other event. Eugene Merrill, Old Testament scholar, says this, quote, The Exodus is the most significant historical and theological event of the Old Testament because it marks God's mightiest act in behalf of his people, an act which brought them from slavery to freedom, from fragmentation to solidarity, from a people of promise, the Hebrews, to a nation of fulfillment, Israel. To it, the book of Genesis provides an introduction and justification, and from it flows all subsequent Old Testament revelation. In the final analysis, the Exodus served to typify that Exodus achieved by Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, it's central. And in the Bible, it's central as it points us forward to what Christ would achieve for us. Throughout the book, we see Moses as the Lord's chosen mediator through whom the Lord gives blessings to Israel and thus as a type of Christ. It is through Moses that God provides redemption. It is through Moses that the Lord provides the covenant with God's laws that teach how a redeemed people are to live holy lives to the glory of God. It is through Moses that God provides intercession when they sin and rebel that they would be forgiven. Moses points us forward to Christ, our true mediator. Well, do you have any questions or comments on anything that we have seen tonight? I hope this is whetting your appetite to study this book in detail. Um, but if there are any questions uh, that are on your mind now, I'd love to hear those. Or um, if, if you have any comments related to anything that we saw to edify us, lo love to hear those comments. Robert. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see that how the, the high priest had the names of the 12 tribes on those stones on that, that, that breast piece that he wore when he would you know, go before the Lord. He represented the people to the Lord, whether he was making atonement for them or, or he was coming before the Lord on their behalf in another way. Um, he represented, as, the media, as a mediator, he represented the people to the Lord. And ultimately, Christ is that mediator. And our, our, our names, in a sense, are on uh, Christ's palms. And uh, he represents us before the Father. Mm -hmm. Yes. We'll be be studying about that, that veil that, that kept people from entering. But then in Christ, that veil is torn in two. It's Christ's death is what gives us access to God, to the one who's holy. Anything else?
May, may the Lord really bless our study unto that end. Dorian. We'll see Israelites, you know, complaining. We'll see their unbelief, their rebellion. It stands in sharp contrast to what God does for, for, for them. It shows us our, our need for God to open our eyes and to change our hearts. All right, this has been an excellent uh, discussion together. Uh, let's uh, pray uh, to close out this portion of our time. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the book of Exodus that we are just beginning to open together. Lord, we look forward uh, to what you will teach us uh, in this series. Uh, we ask you, Father, to, uh, as we go through this study, uh, to give us great understanding of your revelation of yourself to us here. And uh, we pray, Father, that you would continually enable us to connect this to Christ and uh, Lord, uh, we pray that the result uh, would be a, a, a deeper worship of you, a deeper trust in you, a, a more faithful service to you for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.